the Bandit About podcast series. Joining me in the engine room this week is an Adelaide-born musician whose parents had been performing together for many years. It was inevitable that he too would become a musician. He began to play with the church band when he was 10 years old and continued to play throughout his school years in a variety of ensembles. When he was 21, he auditioned for and became a member of the band of the South Australia Police, where he remained for several years prior to then successfully auditioning for Cirque du Soleil. It is my immense pleasure to welcome Paul Butler. Welcome, Paul, and thank you for making the time to chat with me today. No worries. My pleasure. Okay, Paul, let's start from the beginning. Where were you born? I was born in Adelaide. And what area did you grow up in? Uh, I grew up in the hills in Belair. Oh, lovely. Yeah, nice spot up there. Do either of your parents or anyone else in your family come from a musical background? They do. So my parents were in a band um, Mm -hmm. and actually to this day they still perform. They're getting up there in the age but they're they're still out there doing it, going to nursing homes and entertaining. So uh, I guess it's no surprise that it got passed down to me. Yeah. So what band are they in? Uh, So they have their own duo. So years ago, they were in some of their own uh, projects and they they toured as well. My dad's English, so he moved over from England when he maybe mid-20s and he met my mum and then they travelled backwards and forwards on cruise ships, performing, entertaining. Yeah, I guess they've continued and they're a part of the church, so they, they were heavily involved in that and the music there. And they took a little break for a while. I think my dad just is just itching to keep going, so... Uh, he kind of got my mum on side and, yeah, so they've been performing in, in different arenas, like mostly, yeah, nursing homes and stuff these days. But, um, yeah, they love it. Mm. So they perform under a certain name or? Uh, to be honest, I don't know. <laughs> Typical child. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, you know, they're doing their thing and I'm, I'm happy that they are. Yep. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, back in the day they were called Silver Lining. Well, there you go. That's a name to start with. Yeah, I I know that much. Oh, well, that's good. At least you know one of them, right? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, Paul, so what led to or who influenced you to start playing the drums? Uh, So for as long as I can remember, I've just gravitated towards them. As I say, my parents being musicians, uh, my dad played guitar, my mum sang, played some tambourine too, and they would have rehearsals at home. So I guess I just caught a liking to it and... Got a photo when I think I was one year old. I'd crawled over to the drums and picked up a stick and was trying to have a go. So I've just always been fascinated by drums. So that was probably the earliest. I don't know if it's a recollection I have, but there's photo evidence of it. Yeah. And then from there, I guess it just continued. So wherever we were, if it was like the Christmas pageant, Dad would take me and he had a step ladder or actually a big ladder that he would take there so that I could sit on top and so I could see, you know, everything that was going on. And I was always most fascinated when the bands came through and in particular when there was uh, when they were drum heavy. The pipe bands were a big draw card for me because obviously you hear the drums coming from a fair way away. And, yes, I was just always fascinated. So, as I say, my parents were involved in the church a lot. So every Sunday I would be there and listening to the service and they had live music. So I would always be fascinated staring at the drummer. After the service I'd go and try and play the drums any rehearsals that were happening that I was taken along to before or after, I'd always be at the drummer's side or trying to play. So that's, yeah, I guess like the first recollections of being around music and yeah. having an opportunity to kind of play the drums. But then it wasn't until I was maybe, 
I don't know, like nine years old or something. Uh, one of the guys that was playing at the church saw that I was so keen and he just said to my parents, hey, look, I'll, I'll teach him, I'll take him on. So uh, he did that out of the goodness of his heart, which I am to this day very, very grateful for. Mm. Uh, and I just, I just idolised him. I looked up to him so much and every week I'd come and I'd be sitting and while they were doing the rehearsals, I'd just be staring at him. Um, and obviously in the lessons it was great for the knowledge that he would pass on. And then as the years went by, I guess I grew and he started giving me some opportunities and things to to play more. And then I was playing basically in the services from around 10 years old. So I was getting a chance to play with other musicians, to listen, interact and communicate. To be able to play with other musicians at such a young age was, I think, amazing opportunity. Yeah. So when did you get your first set of drums? So that took a while. I didn't get my first set of drums till I was 15. Right. Even though, as I say, I'd loved them all my life, but it just wasn't a thing that was possible Mm. at that time, unfortunately. So I may do like many young drummers do, and you make your own makeshift kits out of whatever's possible at home. Of course, did the pots and pans thing. I had like a little kind of toy drum set for when I was probably, I don't know, four or something, uh, and had a plastic drum that got to go around my neck so I made mum make me a busby hat and I would be out there singing and playing on that thing then eventually I got a practice pad so I just got to start working on some basic technique things at home and actually a key thing for me was my grandma's sister we went over to her house one day and happened that her next door neighbor was a drummer so I went around there and was hanging out obviously super fascinated and Again, so generous. He gave me my first cymbal, my first pair of drumsticks. So that would have been before before I started lessons with Deep Steven. Mm. I, I'm not sure of the guy's name who gave me the cymbal, but that was like so precious to me. I took it home and I set that up on the couch. On my left-hand side, I had the top of a hi-hat and I also had a ride cymbal. So I had that, my practice pad, and then I just hit the floor for my kick drum. And then from there, my dad helped me make my own sort of drum set out of like cardboard boxes and things and we used a, a guitar pedal and hooked up a, a rod to that and then a beater to actually have a kick drum oh wow uh and then a little while later i managed to get a practice pad bass drum and a, and a pedal so i kind of had enough to sort of work on some basic things at home yeah and then the rest of the time whenever i could i'd be at the church playing or I had some friends at school that were drummers, so when I was at their place, you know, we'd try and be in a band and I played some guitar. So it would start that way, but I always just was kind of waiting for my turn to get on the drums. Mm. And then fortunate that some friends would then lend me their drums over the holidays. Teacher lent me some drums. So I guess I I still had access to drums at a younger age, but I wasn't able to get my own drum set for a while, which I guess made it all the more special when I did finally have my own drums. Yeah. And. I'm very grateful to my grandma. So she'd been putting a little money aside for me, basically, I think, since I was born. And it was meant to be for when I was 18. And she let me withdraw money early to get my first drum set. So that was great. Yeah. No, that's wonderful. Premier APK kit that was. Mm. Fabulous. So where did you go to school? I went to Sunrise Primary School and Mm. Temple College High School. Okay. And did they teach music there? Yes. So I guess my education side of things, I was learning from a guy, as I say, through the church, whose name was Steve Staben. And 
I learnt with him for a couple of years and then he passed me on to his drum teacher, Don Crook, who then happened to teach at Sunrise. So I was with Don probably from like year six maybe mm-hmm. up until year 11. So he also taught at the high school. Fortunate that, yeah, I got to learn from Steve and then who he learnt from. Uh, and then to continue on from there, Don then, well, actually I'll, I'll step back. I did work experience with Don when I was in year 10. It was kind of interesting to see the other side of things because I'd always been the student and then he kind of got me to help out being the teacher. All right. And so I thought, oh, this could be kind of an interesting thing to do. From there, he ended up passing me a bunch of students, maybe some of the ones that uh, he didn't need to teach at the time, Mm. which definitely, you know, helped me out and I learned a lot from that. And and I was, I say, pretty young to start doing that. But it was a great way to continue my learning process and also help others out in, in the process. Yeah. Uh, and then shortly after that, he realised that, yeah, that was, you know, something that I was going to do for my career. So he really challenged me and suggested that I uh, go and study with Jim Bailey at the yeah. university. I auditioned for single studies program at the end of year 11 and then studied with Jim in year 12 for my final year of school. And that was completely different because up until that point, I pretty much just played drum set and and a handful of percussion things, uh, a little bit of hand drums. Actually, story about that. So Steve, my first teacher, was playing in a bunch of uh, different gigs and stuff, and so he asked me to play percussion on it. So I went to Don one day. I was like, oh, hey, Don, do you reckon I could borrow your congas for a gig on the weekend, and do you reckon you can teach me how to play in this half an hour? <laughs> uh, and, again, he was so gracious that he, he lent me his drums, his congas, and showed me a couple techniques so I could fumble my way through the gig. So then I went to study with Jim Bailey. That was studying classical percussion. So that was a completely different world for me. I really had no idea about it. I didn't know what a mallet instrument was. So it was very eye-opening and also very challenging. I had to work really hard. But you and were in I, fabulous hands there with Jim Bailey. Absolutely. Uh, Jim is a living legend. I'm very grateful for all the years that I had with him and, and all the time and energy he devoted to me, not only just as a teacher to teach you techniques and the different things about the instrument, but also a mindset and a way of living and principles. He led by example. He was always in his room working hard, practicing. You know, he didn't need to stop even though at that point in time I would have considered him, you know, to be a lot older. He was still really moving and doing great things with his career as well as passing that knowledge on to us. So definitely instilled great principles in me that I had to work hard. Yeah, so forever grateful to Jim. Excellent. And, of course, you ended up doing your Bachelor of Music and Honours in Percussion Performance. Yes. At Adelaide Elder Conservatorium of Music. Yeah. With Jim. And I'll say the the other thing about Jim, because obviously I was studying classical percussion, but Jim is so diverse and he's done so many things. So it was really good that I could kind of rack his brain on things that didn't necessarily just fit into the the requirements of the course. Mm. He was very careful that, you know, we had those things that we had to do for the course, but I would hassle him about drum set playing, about Latin percussion, about all sorts of things. Like in the holidays, I ended up having private lessons with Jim one year just because I I wanted to see the jazz side of things that he was so well versed in. I just wanted to learn anything and everything because I came from a drum set background. I didn't really want to see that go to the the wayside. 
Yeah. And I think the other fortunate thing, the percussion department was actually situated right next to the jazz department in Madley Basement there. So I was kind of surrounded by all the jazz guys, but then I would go and do all the classical concerts as well. So I was very fortunate that one, I had an amazing teacher that just has so much knowledge uh, on so many things. And he was gracious to, to impart that to me, to then be exposed with a bunch of guys that were playing different styles and things as well. Yeah, I kept myself very fortunate. Yeah, definitely. What was the first band that you joined? Band-wise would have been church in the early days because I was playing with other musicians. We had like a group for the younger kids and so I always played there Saturday nights and then from there there would always be like these bigger gatherings that would be between all the different churches and initially I would just go along and watch and then I got asked to play like two tunes and then as it went on I got asked to play for the whole gigs and they would end up being like interstate trips and and different things like that. I guess it's the first bands that I was in not really with a a name or anything but I was playing in relatively large situations Mm -hmm. and then from there my first real band would have been with some guys from high school and we were called Spank and Funk. It was great we just we wrote some original stuff and then just played a few classic tunes uh, some Herbie Hancock and, and things like that. That was with a guitarist, bass player and a sax player that I went to school with. Excellent. Can you remember your first gig with that band? I remember us playing at the uni bar and also another mate's birthday. And I can't remember which was the first one. That was great for me as well because it was the first time that I was actually playing outside of, I guess, what was a relatively comfortable situation growing up in the church and, and doing that for so many years. This was actually kind of my or our project and kind of made you feel a bit more like a professional musician. Yeah, excellent. Did you do any other type of work apart from teaching? So my mum used to clean the church. From a young age, I would go and help her out in the holidays to get a little bit of pocket money. But pretty much all that would happen is I would maybe clean for about 20 minutes and then I'd just go and practice. (laughs) I'm very grateful that my mum actually still gave me the pocket money. Mm. And let me practice at the same time. That's pretty much my only other job I've done that's not music. Yeah. I guess I probably didn't really do that job anyway. (laughs) I started teaching at around 16 and then gigs probably started happening shortly after, like maybe 17, 18. And then from there I started getting like just random call-ups to fill in for different people. So I did a filling gig with a corporate band, pub band called Lowbrow. Mm. I did one gig and then maybe six months later I got called to do another gig and then a couple months later another gig and then finally they needed a full-time drummer so I ended up being the the guy for them, which was great. Mm -hmm. So that's probably the first time I really started gigging quite regularly. Yeah. And with people that were older as well. So they were kind of experienced and could really – kind of help me and show me the way and help me out with tunes because when you're in a corporate band, you need to know a lot of tunes. And at that point, I probably didn't. So that was great to open up my mind to that and, and get versatile because that's the thing with corporate bands. You end up doing all kinds of things in the one gig. You might do a dinner set, which is a jazz thing, and then maybe a soul set, but then you're doing a party set with dance tunes or maybe they want older rock tunes, kind of really opens you up to a lot of different styles. Mm. Yeah, no, that's really good, isn't it? Yeah. And I guess from there, like Adelaide, you know, we're relatively well connected. If you know someone, you know someone, you know someone. So then someone else would need to fill in, so I'd do that. 
And then as it would turn out, that person would decide to maybe move on to something else. So then I'd become the drummer for that band. Or then I'd play Perk alongside another drummer in a band. Like we'd all kind of share it around. So fortunate to play with a bunch of different people in Adelaide. That's yeah. right. What was your first major gig? What was major to me at the time would have been the interstate gigs that I did through the church mm-hmm. and being quite young. Like it was huge for me. Kind of felt like a rock star a little bit. But then probably the most major gig that I got was with Band of the South Australia Police. Jim came in one day and said that they were looking for someone to fill in for a show coming up. Did I want to do it? So I was like, yeah, sure. And I didn't know that the police band existed. I went along and I learnt the tunes and they were happy with me, which was great. And it just really opened up my mind that, okay, this is another possibility. We have this band here. It's a full-time band. That could be something that could be cool to participate in. And then shortly after, they actually were auditioning for a percussionist slash drum set player. So I went along to the audition. That was behind, behind screens. So that whole process is relatively daunting. And then waiting to see if you get the call back. And fortunately, yeah, I ended up getting a gig with the police band. So I did that from the age of 21 to 27. Excellent. That's a long stint. Yeah. And again, like it opened up my mind to so many different things because the band's so diverse. It's a military band, so it has all the ceremonial aspects and the marching component, but then there would be a Dixie band, a big band, a rock band. Yeah, so many different things, as well as the the concert band. So we were playing so much repertoire, and I was in with some great players that I got to learn from. And basically, I, I was growing up too. I was kind of young. I was 21, so they helped me in many, many ways. Mm. And in particular, Paul Simpson-Smith, who was the section leader there, uh, I learned a lot from him, and Steve Todd, who was the drummer there at the time as well. I just learned so much from those guys and very, very grateful for the time. That's great. Do you have a memorable gig story, good or bad, that you'd like to share? Yes. Uh, I'm just trying to think which one. There's... We can share more than one. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I guess another little part of my story is after the police ban, I managed to get a gig with Cirque du Soleil. So there's a whole story that leads into me getting that gig, but to answer your question, the most memorable gig I have would be my first show with Cirque du Soleil with the show Corteo. And I might preface it with a bit of a backstory. Mm -hmm. So I was very grateful for my time in the police ban, but after seven years, I was also maybe looking for another opportunity. And being that I worked with Steve Todd, good friends with him, and I, I knew Ben, his son, for many years, and we'd done a bunch of things. We'd gone on a trip to Las Vegas, and I'd previously seen a bunch of Cirque shows. I had albums. I was like, wow, this, you know, it's such a cool thing. Because I liked theatre shows, uh, you know, being able to read, but I love pop music, and I feel like Cirque is kind of this in-between gig And it's just such an amazing production. Like I was heavily into sport as a kid as well. So fit that side of it, you know, with all the amazing acrobatics, not by me, but, you know, I got to, you know, see that. So I was like, wow, this could be something that could be great one day, but, you know, one day, one day. And we went to Vegas on a trip with the university and we got to see some shows and hang out with some of the players from those shows. Mm -hmm. And so I suppose that was the, First point that I I was like, yeah, this is something that I really would love to do. But in my head, it's like, no, I need to practice more. I need to be better. I need to, you know, one day, one day I'll send an audition tape in. By this point, Ben had sent some tapes in and he finally was able to go on a tour as well. So he was on Corteo. And then not quite a year later, I think it was, he was transferring to another show and thought that I'd be a good fit for this one. 
So he recommended me. And then I auditioned and Steve Todd and I, we had a tour in, I don't remember which one this was, in Switzerland, in Basel for a military tattoo. And Ben happened to be in Russia. So we went on a side trip to go see Ben. And at this point I'd auditioned and I hadn't heard whether I got the gig or not. Mm -hmm. So I was obviously very anxious. I was on site. I got to hang out with Ben. I got to see the show. And I was like, wow, like this could be something that I might be doing. And then I went to an internet cafe because, you know, a few years ago, that's what I had to do to actually, you know, check my emails. Yeah. And I got the news that I didn't get the gig. Mm-hmm. So I was absolutely devastated. So it was kind of back to the drawing board. Went home. I was like, okay, what do I want to do? It is something that I want to do. So let's just keep focused on the task. By this point, I've been watching heaps of videos on different players and things that maybe I needed to work on. And a few months later, I was asked to re-audition because it wasn't working out with the person that they'd hired. So I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So I resubmitted some tapes and fortunately was offered the position and then asked if I could leave within a couple of days. Uh, I was like, uh, but I have my life here. I was still in the police van. We were actually on holidays at that point. So I kind of could give a couple of weeks notice, but it was, it was all so fast and something that I'd kind of been working towards, but wasn't sure if I was ready to just like leave Adelaide and my life and my partner. But yeah, I signed the contract and went over to Montreal, was there for a couple of weeks, just preparing and doing contracts and makeup and all these different things. And then finally joined the tour and I saw the show one night and then the next day, there's a whole transition period generally when you join Cirque. Uh, You're not generally just thrust into it. Mm. So I was meant to have a rehearsal with the band. I hadn't even done makeup or anything or costume with the guys on the tour. I'd done some of it in Montreal, but we hadn't kind of finalised it all yet. And I was just having a meeting in, in an office with someone and the stage manager came in and was like, hey, Paul, how you doing? like, yeah, good. Do you reckon you want to go in the show tonight? I was like, uh, yes, I think I'm prepared, but we haven't rehearsed at all. I don't know if my costume's ready, uh, all this stuff. I was like, don't worry, we'll make it happen. So pretty much everything just stopped that day and had a couple hours to prepare and get ready for the show that night. And it's not like a normal show. Like I've done plenty of reading gigs before, but it's not something that you can read in particular this show as well. Cause the drum percussion rig was in the audience. Mm. So you're basically a character that people could watch the whole time. It's on a click. There are things where you had to play the entry to something and that kind of triggered the rest of the band. There was on stage spots that were heavily involved. So there was so much in this gig. Yeah. I was, I was comfortable as a player and I'd, done a lot of prep beforehand but there were so many unknowns and it could have gone good or it could have gone bad and thankfully it went really well so that is probably one of the most memorable experiences of my life after so much hard work being able to play a show with Cirque du Soleil and then getting put under kind of an extreme circumstance to do it being so thankful that it actually worked out Um, so that was the first show And then it happened to be a two-show day. So I was like so grateful that the first one went well. Then I was like, oh, man, I have to back it up now. (laughs) Thankfully, that went well too. So that's probably like the most, one of the most memorable shows I've done. And then I have to say a second one because it's one of the biggest things for me. In the second show that I was on, Kooza, there was a drum solo. And that was a really big part in the show and a big part for me. And getting to the point where I decided I was going to transfer to another show was a really big deal. And I, I wanted to leave on a really good note. but 
when you're doing a solo, sometimes, you know, it can come off the way you want or sometimes not quite the way you want. And I might be a little bit critical at times. And so I was really hoping that I could just leave and be happy. And thankfully, that was a good day too. That was a very memorable moment for me. Oh, and sorry, and I have a third one. They're all circulated. So the MD calling the show is also quite a challenging position. And I was fortunate to be able to be the assistant MD. So that basically means you call the show whenever there's a need. If the MDs for some reason is sick or maybe their computer goes down, whatever, you kind of need to be ready to step in. Uh, So there's a bit of pressure on it because you need to know everything that the MD knows, but you don't do it every day. And then being able to play alongside of doing that because it's involved, we use uh, Ableton. So you have to trigger everything. You have to line it up with all the acts on stage and give the direction for the band. So there was a whole like choreography that needed to happen with that to make it work, to be able to play and then call the show. Mm. And so I got to do that too. So there's like kind of three things that I guess I'm really proud that I was able to do and thankful that they came off well. Yeah, no, that's great, isn't it? Yeah. So there's obviously a lot of preparation, get ready uh, to do each show. Yeah, there's a, a lot of a backstory before you get to that mm. that day where you actually can perform. And so many different levels, as I say, from costuming, from makeup, uh, figuring out how to do those things. Obviously, the actual playing side of it, there are specific parts in each show and those parts sometimes run in order and sometimes they don't. So you need to be 100% confident with each section that you could move in and out of any point in time. So I guess being yeah really familiar with the material is not something that you could like go and read. You wouldn't even have time to turn the pages. And also you have to be watching the action on stage because you got to hit a lot of things as the acrobats are doing stuff. So it's a really dynamic gig that you really have to be well prepared for. And when you are, it makes it so enjoyable. Definitely. They're great shows, that's for sure. It's very rewarding. So you would have been on tour at the start of COVID then? Yes, I was. I just transferred to a a third show, Curious, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it was touring Australia and the position was opening up. And again, I was grateful that they selected me to be the one to join that show. So I was super excited to be bringing a show to Adelaide after all this time because I joined back in the start of 2011. Yeah, I was super excited. It would be the first time to bring a show to Adelaide. I was fortunate to do a couple of cities in Australia with another show, but it didn't come to Adelaide. I did Sydney, Brisbane, and then we just opened in Melbourne when the news of everything around the world was kind of not doing so well. Mm. And I thought, we're fine because, you know, we're far away from everything and we'll be fine. We'll keep doing the show. So we did premiere uh, and when we went to do a three-month run in Melbourne and then the next city was Adelaide. The day after premiere, they came in and said, we're going to close for a little while. So this is your last show. I was like, okay, cool. We maybe go home for a month or two. So, yeah, I made it back the end of March. Mm. And here we are 18 months later. Yeah. So it really did have a huge impact on you personally, didn't it? Oh, uh, Massive. I wouldn't say everything in my career has always been easy or it's like come straight away. I've been able to do a lot of different things, but sometimes it felt like it needed a bit of a push to make it happen. And then over the last few years, I feel like things were really starting to take shape and there are a lot of great opportunities and yeah, things were maybe a little bit easier than they had been previously. And they were just on a great trajectory. And then, yeah, it was kind of all, all shut down. Uh, initially, uh, 
it was kind of nice to have a break because I'd been going for a long time and, yeah. and it's pretty grueling. Like you do play a lot. It was kind of nice for a break. And also my partner and I were on different shows. So we'd kind of been traveling across the world to see each other and hadn't really spent much time together for like six months previous. So she came back from Europe and we were together for a little while. So that was great because we actually got to be together. So I kind of didn't mind the first few months, but then I was like, oh, what is this? And I was so used to playing and kind of being wanted and needed by those shows because for so many years I was playing all the time. Mm. And as much as I, you know, I'll play by myself in, in the room, that's fine. I love it. I'll always do that. But I was just so used to doing that and then having it taken away. It was actually a little challenging. And over the last 18 months, I've definitely had some ups and downs with mm. it and just a whole heap of different emotions. Yeah. Sometimes just really angry that when things were going so good, they stopped. But that's life and people have it a lot worse. So I tried to remember that. Grateful for anything that I've been able to do. And hopefully there will be more things to come as well. Also, things have gotten better. There was a bunch of stuff happening over the last year. Got me back into teaching. So I've been able to spend a, a lot of time doing that. I got to reconnect with friends and family that I haven't been able to see for a long time. And also play with a bunch of guys back here, which I haven't been able to do for a long time as well. So it's been so it's a, nice to see that there were some positives that have come from it that wouldn't have occurred otherwise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, there's always, in most situations, there's always something that's like good or maybe there's a little sacrifice that comes with it. And that's the same thing, you know, with all the touring. It was amazing, but there were parts of life that also had to compromise to make that work. So as I say, it was, yeah, it was nice to be home with family yeah. and friends. And then nice to play some gigs where it was just more intimate as opposed to high-pressure situation. As great as that is, it's just different. So, yeah, it's been an interesting time. And you'll be rejoining the show early in the new year? Uh, yeah, so I'll be heading out late February to rejoin the show Curious. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah, we'll open April, I think it is, in Toronto. So I'm going to go to Montreal for a couple of weeks and then we'll all join with the rest of the cast to basically run through the show and get everything up to speed. I think we might have about a month to do that. Mm. And then we'll open in Toronto and then head to the States. So, yeah, very excited that that's going to be back on the table and be able to, you know, see my friends and kind of my family, that my Cirque family, because I spent a lot of time with a lot of people. So, yeah, it's almost like they're your family away from your immediate family. That's also been challenging because now I've been on the other side of the world from a lot of those people that I'm really close to as well. So, yeah, it's going to be great to be back on tour and hopefully the world can kind of keep going in a good direction. I know yeah. things are a little bit questionable. I guess we all just have to try and stay positive and, and do the best that we can. And I guess I'll ride the wave for as long as I can. If we get to go back and play for a long time, great. If it's maybe for a few months, then I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to go and do it again. Yeah. That's great that you'll be able to do that again. Yeah. Paul, is there a band that you wish that you'd had the opportunity to play with at all? There's heaps. You grow up and, and you see drummers that you idolise and try and emulate and you see things that they're doing or people that they're playing with. It's like, man, that would be great to do that. How that would ever happen, who knows? There's plenty of people out there. There's so many great musicians. There's so much great music, so many great players. I would love to play with all of them, given the opportunity. Whether there's one, I'm not really sure. That doesn't really help answer your question, does it? No, well, you tried. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a great fence sitter, by the way. 
Oh, right, um, yeah, because I haven't yeah. noticed that, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. All good, Paul, all good. We'll move on. Paul, if you could offer only one tip to a brand-new drummer, what would it be? Uh, love it. If you do, then it'll see you through anything pretty much. It's not always going to be roses. You've got to put a heap of work in. If you're going to make it a career, you obviously need to get paid. You need to find whatever way that you can do that. won't always be the way you might want it to be. You can have ideals and goals and I think you just have to be resilient and if you love it, then you'll find a way. Excellent. Who are your top three local drummers? Great fence sitter. I don't think I can really say a top three. There's just too many that are currently doing great things or have done previously. I would say I'm just privileged to have known many of them. I guess we should say some names. I'll say people that I think have impacted me won't be three. Okay. If that's okay. Yeah, yeah, fine. Steve Staben, Don Crook, Jim Bailey. They're like my three main teachers. Steve Todd, Ben Todd, hands down, great people, amazing musicians. I've learned so much from them and had many good times with them. And also they've definitely helped me along my career in many ways. Paul Simpson-Smith from the police band, a guy, Yanya Boston, that I used to go watch play club gigs back in the day. Great drummer who's now in Sydney. And he gave me a bunch of gigs when he moved to Sydney, like maybe 17 years ago or something. John McDermott, Brad Blaine, amazing. Alex Flood doing great things. And then there's a bunch more people that I haven't really hung out with for a while, like from my uni days. Alex Stoper, who's in Vegas now. He was a big influence on me. Tim Ergang as well. Nick Parnell. I just did a gig with the orchestra the other day. I've been fortunate to do a few with them recently. And that's a whole other thing. So Steve Paterka. Amanda Grieg, Andrew Penrose, Sammy Butler, not related, but, yep, same name. And then, hands down, probably one of my most influential people that's been in my life, great percussionist, Jamie Adam. I actually went to school with his brother and sister, and at the point of time that my teacher, Don, had suggested I go and study classical percussion, and I knew nothing about it, Jamie's brother and sister said, oh, you should call my brother. You know, he's doing that at the moment. So I called him up and... Pretty much from that day, we were friends. He's been an amazing support. He's an amazing player. Just a beautiful touch on the instrument. Great mallet player. There's too many. Yeah, I think you've named enough now. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. But uh, everyone should know this. Everyone's obviously. trying to be super jealous because, you know, I've let you name so many. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry. Well, and I'm sorry for the people that I haven't mentioned as well because, as I say, but there's See, so now many. you're going to feel even worse. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, I shouldn't have said anyone. No, oh well, too late now, boy. <laughs> Paul, I want you to choose the three most important to you from the following five. We have groove, creativity, chops, technique and time. Out of those five, which three are most important to you? They're all related. Yeah. So I don't really know that there is one that's more important. To play a groove, you have to have a technique and each person technique will make their groove and I guess chops him there's more notes involved and creativity that that's a part of it I think you can't have creativity without playing more or less notes so it's really hard question for a fence sitter for a fence sitter absolutely but as I say as I'm getting older I think all these things are interrelated like when I was younger hands down the more notes that I heard the better and the more stick tricks involved the better I, I still love it to this day, but I also love like simplicity. But I think 
music, it all comes from light and shade, dynamics, contrast, fast, slow. So you kind of need all of it to make each one of those. They will just go hand in hand. Yeah. Sorry. I don't answer the question very well. (laughs) (laughs) All good, Paul. All good. You have to have groove and you have to have time. You can have groove where the time can shift, but generally consistent time is going to help you groove. I love someone that can play lots of things. You have to have a facility and your technique is your way of expressing something on the drums. And you might play a way that looks awkward to me, but you get an amazing groove feel and sound. There are things that I think are general principles of how the body works. And if someone spends more time doing those things, maybe they might be able to do it a bit faster than someone else. And as long as they can then use that in contrast, then they're going to make great music. Thank you. If you could invite any musicians to play a concert with you anywhere in the world, you're on the kit. Who would you call? Where would it be held? And what genre would the band be performing? Mm, That's a tough one. That's so tough. Chick Corea, because he is just phenomenal, he would be my favourite musician that is not uh, a drummer. He can play drums. He's just phenomenal and, and I love, I've loved everything that he's done. In particular, I got into a lot of his stuff with Gary Burton when I was studying percussion and more into vibraphone playing. But then he's had so many great drummers as well. So yeah, Chick Corea. Actually, I'm going to change it. I think I would just like to play with Sting because Vinnie Kaluta is hands down my all-time favourite. I would hope that if I was sitting in with Sting that for that moment I would actually be Vinnie Kaluta. But, yeah, it would be Sting and playing Red Rocks outside in uh, Colorado. That was, Mm -hmm. like, a pretty epic place to play. Excellent. Performing Sting's music, of course. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I would just hope to be Vinny for a day. All right. Or more than one day. More than one day maybe, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Paul, is there something that you've really tried to play that you couldn't get right or you weren't satisfied with the way that you did play it? Yeah. Plenty of stuff. I'm my own worst enemy. I'm a little critical and I'm trying to not be, but plenty of times I'll play something and I'm like, could that have been better? Should that have been better? It could be anything, something that maybe seemed really complicated or something that might be really simple, but did I do it well, even though it's supposed to be simple? Like triangle. I've been fortunate to do some stuff with ASO recently and and I've had a bunch of triangle parts and I hope I did well for the show. Some parts I was very happy with. A couple other times I'm like, man, this is such a hard instrument to play so precise, so clean, to get a nice tone, but you can hardly move. So it's really easy to to not play it well too or the specific part. There's just lots of things. As I say, I'm a little bit critical. I always just try my best and I'm trying to accept that. Okay. Do you ever get bored with your own playing? I wouldn't say bored, but I'm always striving to have more to say, to feel more comfortable behind whatever instrument that I'm playing. I think the more you know, the more you realise maybe you don't know. A few years ago, I was probably more confident in my abilities, even though they weren't the abilities that I have now. Ignorance is bliss sometimes. I'm always striving to learn more. Being versatile is really challenging because everything you do requires a lot of attention. So no matter what setting you're going to, the goal is to do the best you can. No matter what style, no matter what instrument, there's always something to be working on. I don't know if you really can get bored. Fair enough. Now, I know that you mentioned that you've been doing some stuff with the ASO and you've also been teaching recently. What else have you been doing 
since you've been back? Well, I guess we had like a few times where festivals were able to go ahead. There's been a bunch of things that were on the cards and then they got postponed or cancelled or because they got postponed, the new date that became available, I wasn't available for. But yeah, I did a bunch of stuff in Fringe and then the Cabaret Festival. So just a, a bunch of different reading shows. I was in the house band for a bunch of nights at the Club Queens in the Fringe and then played an original show with Carla Lippis and subbed in with Amelia Ryan and Libby O'Donovan and also subbed in on another show, Disco Wonderland. That was cool. That was Fringe. And then Cabaret Festival, I did a show Bathhouse Bet with Amber Martin, which was really cool. And then, yeah, some stuff with the ASO, a bunch of corporate band gigs. I play at the casino quite regularly with the guy Tooch, Tooch and the Review. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a fun one. Love those guys. I've played with them for many, many years. So that's kind of just like coming back and hanging out with mates and getting to play some tunes, which is really cool. Been able to do a couple HSCC recordings recently, which is cool as well because a few guys I wasn't really connected with previously. So it was nice to come in and meet some new faces and, and play with different people. And yeah, like it's great. They do really cool versions of tunes and they got a huge audience. So they do, yes, they certainly do. Yeah. Kind of just a bunch of different stuff. I like to be versatile, I like to do different things, and if the phone rings, I try and say yes as best as possible. Great. Where do you see yourself in the next ten years? I'd like to say still touring. At what capacity? I'm not really sure, but I'd love to keep touring. I love traveling. The experiences I've had over the last number of years is has been amazing. I love Adelaide. It's always going to be home. I think we're very fortunate with our life here. We have an amazing quality of life. It's a beautiful city. But just to go and meet new people and people that have a different story to me, different languages, different foods. I know the the world's very multicultural. Like Australia, we, we have everything here, but it's still different to go to the original source. So I, I hope I'll still be touring. And growing, hopefully, I might be a little happier as a player in my own playing. (laughs) Yeah, and hopefully I'm still growing and pushing and doing new things. Excellent. What do you hope to have achieved before you do lay down the sticks for the last time? I would like to be happy (laughs) with myself as a player. I know that I can do certain things and and I've done things and I'm very fortunate to have been able to do that. But I guess within ourselves, sometimes it's not always easy to appreciate it where we're currently at. So if I could find a way to be able to be happier within myself as a player and to say more, to be able to have more to say, I think, on the instrument. I don't know if there's one particular goal. I just hope if those things are happening, that would then give me a heap more opportunities and experiences because of that. Fabulous. Before we end our chat today, I'm going to ask Paul 20 quick random questions or as many as we can get through in the space of two minutes to close the interview. Are you ready, Paul? Uh, Yes. Excellent. Your time starts... Now, what was the hardest song you learnt to play? Man, it's a a marimba piece, but I can't even remember the title. You can pass. Pass. In 1990, which drummer got a phone call from Sting, flew to England and won the audition to become a member of his band? Vinnie Taluda. Correct. What was the first album that you purchased? I don't know the first album I purchased, but the first memorable album is Dave Wackle Master Plan. 
How many Von Trapp children are there in The Sound of Music? Damn it, should know I play The Sound of Music. Um, Twelve? Seven. Seven. Oh, my gosh. Name a band you wish you'd seen play live. Stevie Wonder. When Larry Klein and Joni Mitchell got married, which drummer was their best man? Oh, wow. I'm guessing Vinny. Yep. <laughs> the most sticks that you've dropped during a gig? Couple. Your favourite police song? King of Pain. What was the first concert that you went to? Cliff Richard. Name a famous drummer you'd like to meet. Vinnie Caliuta. What is your pet hate? Uh, pass. Name a music genre that you don't like. I don't have one. What was the first single that you purchased? Mm, no idea. Name one thing that you cannot live without. Drums. Oh, we're out of time. I hope I've got drums in there. Yeah, you got drums in there just. Thank you once again, Paul, for joining me for the Bandit About podcast today. You've been great to chat to and I hope that everyone who listens finds this as enjoyable as I did. Great. Thanks for having me on board. My pleasure, Paul. Thank you for making the time. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. All of the information and links relating to today's interview can be found in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please share the link with your friends. Until next week, it's goodbye from me, Di, banded about, proudly supporting live music. Bye. See you. Bye.